glad you're with me today. Welcome back. We're studying God's Word, and we're, we're in a series that, that we're just beginning this week entitled Choosing to Grow, or Making Decisions that Help Us Grow in Christ. And we're talking about choosing to know God, really choosing true knowledge, real knowledge, God's knowledge. A lot of people have graduate degrees. They may be doctor somebody, or they may have a master's degree. But if they don't know God and don't really have a relationship with him, they're missing the source, the greatest source of knowledge that's available, and that's from God and his word. So today we're emphasizing that if we want to please God, we have to know him and we have to know truth from him. And what, what do you mean by knowing God, maybe you're asking, or how can I really know him well? He seems remote. He seems far away. He seems removed from me. And you say, well, I have trouble committing myself to someone like that. I can't see him. I can't always feel him. So how do you get to know God? Well, first you have to listen to God speak through his word, the Bible, and respond to it. That's why if you're really serious, start reading John, the gospel according to John, 21 chapters. And in those 21 chapters, God talks about life, and he talks about uh, all that's available to make a life special and worth living. And so as you read through that and you, you get the picture of Jesus the, who really came and who really loved us and who really died for us, you begin to experience what, what it means to know him, to have a relationship with him. And Jesus said, when you've really seen me and known me, you've seen and known the Father. And so also you, you accept uh, uh, the invitation that God gives us to obey him, to repent of your sins and turn from yourself and Turn your life over to him. Make him the way for you, the truth for you, the life for you. And when you do that, then you begin to not only experience the fact that you're going to heaven one day when you die, but you have the living Christ with you right now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and he's there to make the difference for you. And it also means to know God that you recognize and rejoice daily in his love and provision. You see, God's provided, the Bible says, everything we need to know for life and godliness. So if that's true, then if he is my source of knowledge and I go to him, then when I have a question I can't answer, he will either give me the answer in his word as I ask him to and study, or he will give me the assurance that I don't really have to have the answer now and he'll provide it later. So it's, it's important for us to, to, to really believe that knowledge is not just packing our brains with information. That's okay, but it's much more than that. You know, if that was what God wanted, he could just made us a giant computer and put all this knowledge in our, in our computer brains, and that would have been enough. But that's not what he wants. He wants a relationship. He wants us to know him, and he wants us to know his knowledge. And the Bible says that a lot of people that even know God don't know his ways, don't understand how he works haven't figured out what God's up to. Let me illustrate it this way. Say we were back in the days of the American slavery and you're a slave. On the slave market, you're being sold, and the meanest and most difficult slave owner who ever got slaves buys you, and, and you tried to escape because it's so terrible, and you're caught and dragged back, whereupon this slave owner decides to inflict exemplary punishment on you. He's going to do give you a major lashing, whipping, such as almost always means death to an undernourished slave. In the morning, you're tied to a whipping post. The whippers are caused, called, and, 
and it's just begot, about to begin when a visitor who's there steps forward, and the visitor, a tall, noble-looking gentleman, exclaims, Stop! You cannot whip that poor slave so brutally. He will die. The slave owner, uh, little dreaming what is to follow, glares and responds, Then die he shall, unless you are brave enough to take his punishment for him. And the handsome stranger steps forward and says, you have committed your, and he says, you have committed yourselves, he says to the wicked owner, Flee the, free the slave, and I will take the lashing. He bears his back <clears throat> to the smiters. His body quivers under the lashes, but he endures manfully until the last two strokes. When he seeks to the ground, lacerated, bleeding, there is, uh, there is more to follow. Imagine our slaves increasing punishment with a few days later, he summoned before the master who says, you are my slave no longer. And so the slave who wasn't punished but another man took his punishment says, what happened? He said, the man who took your punishment has now paid such a price to free you, and I can't keep you any longer. Go, you're free. And for you are leaving this old master. And so he looks for the man who has took, taken his punishment and who has paid for his redemption and in finding him, he says, I want to serve you. I will serve you out of gratitude. I will serve you out of joy. I will serve you out of appreciation. I will serve you out of what you've done for me. You see, that may seem far-fetched, but it's not because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that's exactly how he paid our price. He took our punishment. He suffered for us on the cross and took all of our sins upon himself. And that's why if we put our trust in him, it's out of gratitude and appreciation and joy and purpose that we begin to serve him and we begin to ask God to enable us to walk with him in everything that we do. So if that's your situation today, just trust him. If you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, he's, he's capable. The Bible says if he, if he did that for us, won't he do whatever else that we really do need? Maybe not what we want, but what we need. So ask him to do that for you today. Father, we pray that, that everyone will just be open to your word and as you speak to them, if that's what they need to do, that they will do that today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Now I want to start a new uh, part of this choosing, and I want us to talk about choosing to be content. One of the biggest problems I see among people, whether they're believers or not believers, is to have true contentment, true peace in their lives. They're satisfied. They're not satisfied with who they are, I mean, with what they what they are, but satisfied with who they are as far as uh, in Christ. And in Philippians, Paul spends a whole section on this in chapter four, beginning at verse fourteen or beginning at verse four. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, and then he goes on to say, whatever you have learned or received from me, then that's the things that you ought to do. But then further down in the chapter, which is the main part of, about what I wanted to talk about, he says that... Uh, <clears throat> He says, 
I am not saying this because I am in need, but I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying that I have learned the secret. And the secret is that I allow Christ to guide my life. We're going to pick that up tomorrow. So how to be content. Don't miss it.